this morning our passage comes from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, and then 20 through 24. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he got up and went to his father. While he was a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because the son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and in his death, and they began to celebrate. May God's word shape us and us. God, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for uh, this community that is being shaped by your word and uh, being formed by you and being sent out uh, to love our neighbors, to love the world around us. And I pray that, um, that we can receive from you and that our hearts will be humble. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing our vision series. Uh, last week we started a, a vision series uh, by reading Isaiah 61, 3 through 4, which is um, our Zara verse, or Renewed Seed foundational verse. And uh, we've been talking about who we are, who, what is our identity. And as I've mentioned, we've come up with new language to express this identity and this vision. Um, and I'll just read through it so that It'll continue to kind of soak in and be absorbed by us. But at Renew, we are renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods. And some of our values that we stand for or that we embody are that we're relational. Uh, we're an authentic community um, where everyone belongs. Um, secondly, we're passionate about justice particularly regarding the marginalized, the refugee, and the immigrant. We, we have a heart. We want to embody the heart that God has for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. Um, and then thirdly, we value diversity. We, we desire to be a multi-ethnic and intergenerational uh, body, and we encourage uh, the, the diversity of backgrounds within all of our, and throughout all of our structures, our leadership structures. Um, so, in summation, our dream is for all of North Seattle and beyond to experience the grace and mercy of God and to be transformed into the image of God. We believe we are blessed to bless others, and so we strive to bless the greater North Seattle community in tangible ways. Um, that's a big vision. That's a big hope, a big dream. And our prayer is that we can more fully embody this day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, and begin to live into this more and more. Uh, but I'm going to, this week, we're going to hit that first value of we are relational and we are an authentic community where everything belongs. And, uh, and I'm going to approach this through this passage of the lost son. As Catherine read, the parable of the lost son is a pretty famous passage, and we've all heard it probably in some form or fashion. And what I have gleaned from it and kind of reflecting on it uh, is that God radically receives those who return home. God radically receives people 
who turn back towards home. And actually, I think that image is the image of forgiveness and mercy and grace. That we are walking, we, have, we are lost, we have walked away from God, we have run away from home. But when we come to our senses, we turn back and begin to walk, take the journey back to home. And God is like a father, like the father who sits at the edge of the property, not in the center waiting for someone to come home, but at the edge of the property, gazing out, looking for someone, for his son, longing for his son to return home. And when he sees them at a distance, he runs to them. And this is a picture, this is an amazing picture of God's mercy and grace. It's not a, hey, fix yourself and pay dues. And even when you return, you know, you're going to be in the doghouse, so you got to lay low for a while. It's God chases and seeks and runs after the person who is turning and returning home. Amen? Um, so at the top of chapter 15, the Pharisees are complaining that Jesus eats, uh, is eating with the riffraff and the sinners. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees are like, oh, Jesus, you're supposed to be this righteous rabbi. You're supposed to be a man of God. And yet you're eating alongside all of these unclean people. You're eating alongside people who are ceremonially unclean, who are living lives that are not righteous, who are not coming to the temple and cleansing themselves or doing all the rituals that are needed to be cleansed and be in the worshiping community. And so the Pharisees are just watching them and, and they're judging like Jesus is eating with the wrong people and they're getting, they're getting mad and they're also keeping notes. They're collecting information so that later they can bust Jesus on him. Like, see, you're not righteous. You're not a good teacher. You're not a good rabbi. But Jesus knows that they're thinking these things. I don't think they even expressed it. He knows what they're thinking. And so he tells three stories, three parables. And these three stories have a common theme. And the theme is that there is something or someone who is lost. In the first parable, a man loses a sheep, right? And he looks all over for this sheep. And once he finds this one lost sheep, he says, he calls all his neighbors and all his friends and he says, Look, I found the lost sheep. Come and celebrate with me for that which was lost is now found. And then the second story, the object that is lost is a coin. A woman loses a precious coin and she sweeps her house and she looks under every, in every crack and crevice to find that coin. And when she finds it, she tells all of her friends and all of her neighbors, that which was lost, look, I found my coin. That which was lost is now found. Let's celebrate. Same, same kind of refrain. That which was lost is now found. Let's celebrate. And then finally, Jesus tells the story of the lost son, the parable of the lost son. And this is a much longer story, but it has the same theme. The son, or what I think is the sons. It's a parable of the lost sons. Because both sons are lost. Uh, but we're going to focus on the younger son here. Has run away from home. And when he returns, he's found again. And the father at the end says, Look, that which was my son who was lost is now found. And basically Jesus is talking about the value that God has 
for lost people, for lost things. The Pharisees, they want things to be clean. They want to appear perfect and put together. But what God's concern is, is for that one lost person, for the person who's outside of the community or outside of the temple, who's wandering away, wandering lost. And he, he's so concerned with that. He's so in love with that. He's so passionate about that, that the heavens celebrate when one lost person returns home. So in our story, a rich man has two sons. The younger one has got an adventurous spirit. He's restless. He wants to get out. He's bored at home. He's tired of working on the farm or whatever. So he asks his father to cash him out. Right? Give me all the money that I would get when you die. Give me my inheritance. Which in of itself is a diss, right? When you die, I'm going to get this, so give me that now. So I can just move on. So he wants to be cashed out. Uh, and this would be an atrocity in Jewish culture. And I would imagine in many, uh, many cultures, our cultures today. And uh, the father sadly gives in and the son takes off. And it's interesting how radical this is because uh, I think the word in there implies that there's a liquidation. Like, it's land, like how do you give part of your land to a son? You have to sell off pieces of land. You have to sell off your flocks and your livestock. And so he liquidates essentially a lot, a, a, whatever, a half or a third of his stuff and gives that to this son who then just takes off. And it says, verse 13 tells us that uh, without wasting time at all, the sun lights off, takes off to a far off country. And the sun quickly squanders all of his resources in wild living. He spends all his money living large. He's clubbing, he's traveling, he's sleeping with people. Uh, he's going to the bars and saying, hey, drinks all around, everybody. It's on me. But then he spends it all, and his friends disappear. Oh my gosh, they weren't really his friends. And penniless, he finds himself tending to pigs. He's so hungry that he's like, man, I want that pig food. It looks so good. That Uncle Ben's, wow. Um, but what he's really experienced is a market crash. The bubble has popped. He finds himself in a great recession life recession with no, nothing to catch him. And this is when he realizes that he's lost. Then the son comes to his senses thinking, even my dad's servants live better than this. They're not hungry. They've got food. They, they, they have shelter. They're taken care of. And so he, he comes up with this plan. I'm going to return home, but as soon as I see my father, I'm going to say, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I want to come back, but let me come back as your servant because I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But here we turn, the story turns to the father. And in this section, we see the radical view of a loving father. The father has been disrespected and dishonored. No one would blame him for disowning his son and being extremely angry and unwilling to forgive. But we are told that the father saw him from a long way off Perhaps he's been looking for him every day. And when he sees him, he runs. He becomes undignified, right? He takes up his robes. He's wearing sandals, sandals, and he runs. 
with his hairy bare legs, um, which is an undignified action for a Jewish man of stature. Um, and he's driven by compassion, and this is what drives him to run. He runs, embraces the son, and kisses him. He doesn't even hear what his son is saying, um, but puts the best robe on him, tells everyone to bring the ring and his shoes, put on the ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and tells the servants to kill the fattened calf that they have a party. This is grace. This is full restoration. This is lavish love. He repeats what is said by the individuals in the prior two parables. Come, let's celebrate. Celebrate with me. That which is lost is now found. My son, my son, don't you see? He was lost and now he's found. God the Father goes out of his way to find the lost. He runs to us and takes us in. The arms of the Father are wide. His heart is huge. And there's great joy in the household over this return. It is good to return. It is good when people return. It is good when people walk towards God. It is good when people are hungering after home, right? Home is where everyone belongs. Home is where God is at, the Father. And home is where he opens his, the Father opens his arms out wide and receives people to his banquet table, to his table. And the table is infinitely large, right? Infinitely, uh, has infinite number of place settings. And there's enough room for every person who would turn and come to God to sit at the table, the family tab table, and break bread, drink, and eat, and laugh, and tell stories, and be together. And that's one of, um, I think that image is what I imagine for our community, for the body of Christ, is to be a home, a table, that's ever expanding, ever welcoming new people um, to the table. And uh, to celebrate when that which is, oh, it's far, has been brought near. And I think the Pharisees, Jesus is so pissed and upset at the Pharisees because they have it backwards, right? Here are people who are coming in to be with Jesus and to gain new life. And they're like mad because they're like, those are the wrong type of people to be hanging around with. And so if you imagine these chairs in a circle, this is a perfect kind of uh, visual for us. These chairs in a circle if they represented boundaries, right? The boundaries of a community, boundaries of a church, boundaries of some sort of group of people. And, in or, if, and say someone walked in that door and he or she was different than many of us. Maybe um, just they're clear, clearly like didn't dress right or they smelled even or didn't have hygiene or whatever. And the, these chairs represented a wall. Like, in order for you to come and sit with us, you need to talk like us, you need to eat like us, you need to dress like us, you need to um, believe the same things as us, you need to have some level of 
behavior. Your behavior has to be correct in order to be among us. And so when this person doesn't fit that image or that picture, right, we close that opening, we close that opening. Say Susanna just walked up there and like closed the chairs. <laughs> like, because she's so judgmental. <laughs> Yeah, right? Can't you read and use the right door? And that, that's awesome because it's like sometimes in the church or any community for that matter, I mean, birds of a feather flock together, but it's really hard for people from the outside to break in because these chairs represent characters or qualities or ways of being um, that people need to conform to before they can come in. And that's an example of what it means to have a bounded set. A bounded set in mathematics is kind of like, here are, here's the boundary lines defined by points, right? And this is how we know what's inside and outside. And it's not all bad. Oftentimes we need bounded sets to really, especially if you need a sense, a high sense of identity, you need to form a sense of identity you need that bounded set. Just think about the people uh, in the Old Testament, right? Wandering in Exodus, right? God said, you need to worship like this. Don't intermarry. Don't do these things and these things. And I think that was very important for that time because what was, what was lacking was a, a sense of identity. And there are times that you need that boundedness, those boundaries in order to define who you are. But imagine if some kids walked in, people walked in from outside our neighborhood, the streets, and our chairs, each of us began to open up the chairs. We pushed this chair away, this chair away, and we turned, and Susanna actually turned and was like, welcome, come in, you have a place here, sit down, do you want some coffee? Do you want some pastries? And all, and all of a sudden, the boundaries, the circle, became looser and began to look outward and to open up and become more amorphous. And the fear is, in terms of like turning the boundaries out and to the edge, the fear is we're going to lose control, right? We're going to lose control. We're going to lose identity, right? What is going to be the core of how we define righteous or pure or good? Like who's in and who's out? We don't know. And if we don't have a high sense of boundary, it's going to just go crazy, right? It's going to be chaos. And that's the fear. And yet, um, it, that fear requires faith. A trust that Christ, the cross, is at the center of the community. And that kind of like a magnet. He's the magnet at the center. And we don't need these things to like make sure everything doesn't fall apart. We need to just trust that Christ is in the center and that the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of people outside of the community. He's drawing people in and people are constantly, like this son, coming to their senses and wanting to turn to Jesus Christ. And the picture that Jesus paints here is of a community or a family that celebrates, right? That welcomes the son in that welcomes these people in. 
If you go on further to the older son, the older son has been with the father this whole time. And of course, he's going to feel like, you're throwing this party for him? You never threw a party for me, and I've been here this whole time. Right? And he's like, right? Like, and and the father's like, I love you. I've always loved you. Everything I have is, is yours. But that which was lost is now found. Amen? Um, what matters in the center set model is that, is that what direction people are moving from the center. The younger son had turned and was moving back home. If you notice, the father's gaze was on the outer boundaries of his property, and he reached, ran out to the son when he saw him. Uh, the other day, I was in a kind of focus group with uh, Dr. Rob Wall at Seattle Pacific Seminary, and he's trying to write these commentaries, um, and he was getting our thoughts. But he mentioned uh, some body uh, he wrote a commentary on Acts, and this, per, uh, this person's main thesis was that if you look in Acts, hospitality and salvation tend to go together. Like where there's hospitality and people receiving other people and extending hospitality or receiving hospitality, there also is salvation. Like that's where, where salvation happens. And so as we were talking more, uh, one of the things I, said, I mentioned was, Oh, hospitality is at, always at the edge, right, of the community, right? It's at the edge of the, of the boundaries of what defines the people of God. That's where hospitality is, and maybe that's why salvation is connected to that, that as people are hospitable, both in receiving and giving, that allows, like, the outside pores to be open and for people to come in. Does that make sense? And so actually you see hospitality, radical hospitality in the community of God all throughout scripture, right? It, when we went through Genesis, we talked about Abraham and his meeting um, with the angelic hosts, like the visitors, and he extended hospitality to him. When he looked at the, uh, the Lot passage, uh, one of the things, the problems with Sodom and Gomorrah was that they weren't extending hospitality um, to the stranger. And so I think hospitality is really important to God's people, that somewhere in that openness and receiving, people are led to the gospel, or people are led um, to God's love. And uh, so we are to be people who seek and chase and invite others. We go out and are relational we are incarnational, we are real. We don't demand people be like us in order for them to be with us. And we celebrate when those who are lost are found again. And when we party, we party good. We throw huge banquets and we go out of our way to have fun um, for the kingdom. Uh, Today, uh, we're gonna be taking communion. And I actually wanted to read uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 24. So if you have your Bibles or your little Bible apps, uh, if you can go to 1 Corinthians 
11, 17 through 34. And if someone has that, if they can read that, that would be great out loud. 